0: I think that's like one of the critical roles of RevOps is to determine as a company, what are the go-to-market plays that we're running? For those plays, what data do I need? What triggers do I need? How do I start orchestrating it? And how do I learn from those? How do I monitor the impact, the adoption so that I can iterate on them? Welcome to the OpStars
1: Podcast, where we talk to revenue operations pros at the top of their game so that we can collectively support each other through the sharing of ideas, learning best practices, and discovering innovative new strategies. I'm your host, Don Athos. Thanks for joining another episode of the OpStars Podcast. With us today is uh, Francis Barrero. He's the co-founder, MadKudu, which is a platform that is in the rug ops space, Thanks for joining us today thanks for having
0: me i'm super excited to be here
1: when i was reading your linkedin i have to ask i saw something that said you describe yourself as the nascar of SAS. could you elaborate on what you mean when you describe yourself as the nascar of SAS?
0: absolutely so first off i knew nothing about american sports when i moved to the us discovered nascar and i love this idea of having like stickers and sponsors all over the cars and so what happened is that when we started MadKudu, any customer I went to visit, I would take a sticker and put it on my laptop. And so my laptop ended up looking like a NASCAR because it's like all of our sponsors, all the people like paying for MadKudu. And so my computer is just like full of stickers. And so people would make fun of me. And that's how I became the NASCAR of SaaS.
1: That is hilarious. I absolutely love that. <laughs> I remember one of the things I did at Yammer because anybody could use Yammer. It was very much like Slack 10 years ago. I was always the one that was like, well, we got well, we to like, support our customers. And I was always the one that was like championing, like, hey, Shell is a customer. We all need to go be buying our gas at Shell, you know? But that sounds very similar to that, is uh, throwing a sticker of every one of your customers on your laptop. I think that's awesome. Yeah, so your CEO of Matt Kudu, and I know you guys fall into kind of the rub-up space. Can you describe what is uh, Matt Kudu's,
0: what are you trying to accomplish? So it's really interesting. The two founders were data scientists, and we kind of like fell into the dark side of, I guess, revenue and sales and marketing. Our passion is about democratizing data science. And what we found, our strong belief is that the future of RevOps and even the future of of go-to-market is data-driven and data-first. So our goal is to democratize data science for uh, go-to-market. And so really what CUDA does is that it aligns revenue teams around truth. And so the idea is that there's a bunch of preconceptions around you know what's a good lead, what's a bad lead, what's a good account, what is good engagement, bad engagement. And instead of just relying on people's opinions, we want to allow companies to look through their data and any data that's out there to figure out what is actual true signs of engagement, what are true signs of someone being the right person to go after, and allowing them to empower their teams to reach out to the right people with the right message. So it's really about turning data into revenue, if you will.
1: Got it. Okay. So, you and I read a little bit about seems that there's a focus on automating certain aspects of like the inbound pipeline. What are your favorite key metrics and, and KPIs that you
0: think RevOps teams should be focused on? It's a great question. I think there's always, of course, you know, MQL to SQO kind of ratio of figuring out like whenever you identify something as being qualified enough to be handed over to sales. Is that turning into actual pipeline? That should be kind of the, you know, the North Star in many cases, just really like, what is your contribution to to pipeline? And then, you know, looking at that through all the different channels, critical, breaking it down, even an understanding out of the, you know, QLs that or whatever metric we're using to define this is being routed to sales. What is the contact rate, the acceptance rate, if you will, and then like someone taking action on it. And then, like, how many meetings are we booking and how many of those are turning into pipeline? That's one I think that's a fairly standard metric, but it's interesting how often people get lost into like tiny little details about the metric and they kind of forget that at a super high level, that's really what you're you're looking at. There's a second one that I think on the RevOps side, because it's a little bit harder to implement, we we tend to not pay enough attention to is really the I look at the amount of personalization that's going into campaigns, right? So it's pretty easy today to pull all the data out of a sales loft an outreach or any of those tools and to look at what is the degree of personalization that we're putting into our sequences. And usually that's a really good indicator or leading indicator of your kind of like this MQL to SQL conversion rate. Because what we see is that low is the amount of personalization, the worse the rate is going to be. And I'm not saying that you have to say every single time, like, hey, like, you know, like both went to Stanford. Great. Or, you know, we live in the same area. That's not really personalization. That's kind of gimmicky. Like it's really about I know you're this kind of business. So I assume you have this kind of problem, which is great because that is the kind of stuff that we solve. And here's an example of that, like that kind of level of personalization where you're personalizing the value prop that you're pitching. That is something that I think RevOps should pay close attention to. Because it is a it is a really strong driver of the ability to convert captured demand into pipeline. Got it. That's super interesting.
1: What you're really trying to do is grab the data you have in all these sources, not just your CRM, but lives in other pieces of your tech stack, like your sales engagement, your marketing platform, your intent platform. Have Madcudo, you know vet what that is, pick out what the relevant data is, and then really use that to enrich leads in a way that can say, hey, this is the next best lead to go after.
0: You know, if we boil it down to what the job of this kind of the SDR is the typical person that transforms capture demand into pipeline, what they're really doing is they're researching folks. They're trying to find information that's relevant about these people they're going after. They prioritize who they're going to go after and then they figure out what's the right message to send to them. In all of this, bringing data makes it so much easier, right? Like lead scoring is typically what we've used to do the prioritization. And in most cases, it's like one of the core things that Mad Crew delivers and it's what we used to be most known for. I think lead scoring is is becoming, it's just a part of the bigger problem that's being solved. And research, I think, is now becoming more obviously something that can be solved programmatically. I think everyone is getting excited by looking at ChatGPT and how you can, you know, do automated research on accounts, on like LinkedIn posts, using these LLMs. So that's a big part of what we do in addition to, of course, you know, getting data from like your Clearbit or your Zoom info or Apollo or like plugging all of this together and figuring out how do we automate the research to determine what's insightful information that we can then use to prescribe the right campaign to run for this account or for this set of people.
1: Got it. So you're you're recommending like actionable next steps. And the whole goal behind that is to increase the conversions, increase the engagement. You have like a, a real world example of someone that you can share where, where that's really impacted a team.
0: So when we rolled this out with so a company called OutSystems, and they're a fairly horizontal b 2 dev platform, essentially within, you know, like the first months we rolled this out, they had their best month ever on the SDR side. Uh, because all of a sudden the SDRs had visibility as to what was going on in an account, who was using the product, who was on the website. Who were these people? Who was the buyer? Who were the users? And they had like, you know, templates for like, this is what you want to tell this kind of company. This is what you want to tell that kind of company. This is what you want to tell a buyer. This is what you want to tell a user. It was really helping them figure out what is the right thing to tell these people based on what we know about them and what we see them do. And you're just making it easier for the SDRs to do what they do best, which is execute. And then instead of spending time researching, they were able to spend more time on the phone on LinkedIn, like basically spend more time doing cross-channel uh, communication rather than just looking through dashboards and LinkedIn to try and find information. So how would
1: understanding that prospect behavior, that customer behavior, how does that change the game for RevOps teams? I can understand where it would have an impact on the sales side, but like, what does the RevOps team, what does it enable them to do with all that information that they now have that kind of becomes fundamental like, almost becomes foundational for like,
0: you have to have this in order for an SDR to perform efficiently. I think that's the point that's interesting, right? I strongly believe that a big part of the role of RevOps is enablement, the other go to market teams. And I think too often, RevOps is creating friction for the rest of the team. It's like, oh, well, you have to fill in these fields and you have to make sure you do this to be able to move this like prospect to convert or or whatever. And I there is a big value in RevOps trying to figure out, how do I make it easier for sellers to sell? How do I make it easier for SDRs to prospect? How do I make it easier for people to have context as to why they should be reaching out to someone? So I think ultimately that to me is the most important part is that RevOps have to think of themselves less as gatekeepers and more as accelerators of the business. And I feel like too often they're so focused on Operational excellence and perfectly respecting processes that they can actually slow down growth. So, I'd say, like, to me, the big change is that they have to think about doing that and start prototyping things, like starting to look at what if we, you know, plug in information and we ask information from Bard on what is going on in these like top accounts and things like that. And starting to think creatively about how do I make it easier for an SDR to do their job. And I know it's a bit tricky because there is a challenge in our industry where. Ops is too seldom compensated in alignment with the objectives of the rest of the go-to-market team, right? Ops rarely has something on like pipeline quota attainment. It's ops is going to be in trouble whenever things break operationally. And so that's why as an industry, they tend to be very protective because nobody wants to get a call at like 6 p.m. on Friday. My workflow is broken in Salesforce. Like what's going on? And then when sales closes deals, nobody is thanking RevOps. It's very true. So I think as a RevOps, I think it's critical to, you know, go talk to your managers and say, hey, I, I do think my compensation should be aligned with attainment of, you know, the objectives that we have as a team. And typically as a go-to-market team, the objectives are pipeline creation and, you know, revenue. And then you start thinking differently about what you're doing, right? When you start realizing that, you're less about like, oh, no, like this field was not filled in. You cannot move the opportunity to the next stage. And you start thinking about how do I detect the fact that the champion that's listed on this opportunity has actually moved to a new company. And if the AE doesn't know, this is putting the deal at risk. That's absolutely true.
1: I mean, at least with the roles that I've been in, the RevOps team hasn't been aligned to a pipeline goal, but we've definitely been aligned to like the same number as the CRO. Definitely makes you think differently You know, when you have that number in mind and have that lead, you know, help lead what you do and how you absorb things in that lens. But I think that's really good practice. So we've talked a lot about marketing and the front end of sales and SDRs and AEs. Given that there's a really high cost to customer acquisition in SaaS, what are some of the things that Mad Kudu can do, not just in the conversion, but also in customer retention?
0: It's very similar, right? It's the same thing when it's actually even easier on the post-sell side, because generally we primarily work with B2B SaaS companies. So if you're B2B SaaS and you have customers who are using your product, as they use your product, you gain more information about how they're using it, who's using it, and using that telemetry to inform decisions from a CSM or account management perspective to determine, hey, this is an account that is you know, showing alarming trends in their usage and we might want to check in with them, or they're showing interest in product that's not part of their subscription, so that's an opportunity to cross-sell. There's a lot of plays, again, that can be detected from this, from first party data, but also from third party data. So most of the companies out there have competitors, they have products that they integrate well with. And so detecting any change on the tech stack, for example, is super interesting and in say, oh, we're lean data and we realized that a company just started using Chili Piper. Well, that's interesting, right? Because we did have a scheduling tool and that potentially means that there's a bit of a competitive thing going on here. And maybe as an AM, it makes sense to go, talk about the fact that lean data isn't just, you know, routing and lead assignment tool. It actually has way more functionalities and maybe that's a missed opportunity that the customer just didn't know about. And so detecting those kind of changes are really interesting to start running playbooks on a retention, expansion, and cross-sell perspective. Similarly, just knowing that, you know, you just, the VP of ops left the company or there's a new job posting telling us, hey, they're hiring for a VP of ops. That's probably telling us there's a lot of change going on in the organization. And as a CSM of lean data, I might want to reconnect with the team there and make sure I'm very close to whoever the new VP is going to be to make sure that we stay top of mind there and that we're still deeply instrumented and we kind of repitch the value of the product. So essentially, there's a lot of... The way I think about it is there's a vast playbook Pre-sales and post-sales that needs to be run, and for each of these plays, there's different sources of data and different data points that need to be factored in. Kind of the complexity, at least that we're trying to solve on the Mad Kudu side, is hiding the complexity of figuring out what data to use, when, how, and just surfacing what are the plays that you should be running as a company. But even if we ignoring Mad Kudu for a second, I think that's like one of the critical roles of RevOps is to determine as a company. What are the go-to-market plays that we're running? For those plays, what data do I need? What triggers do I need? How do I start orchestrating it? And how do I learn from those? How do I monitor the impact, the adoption, so that I can iterate on them? And again, I think that's a process that too often RevOps is not fully a part of. They don't necessarily hear about like the playbooks that we're trying to run. They hear about, oh, I need these fields, or I need this data to live in Salesforce, rather than this is what we're trying to do, like similar to engineers, right? If you just tell them this is a feature I need and they don't know what we're, what is the context and the user story, they often ship a feature that only half works because they don't think about older quarter cases because they don't really know what it's going to be used for.
1: That's so true. And then going back to the point of how you structure bonuses, if you then, as a best practice, as you're looking at your whole RevOps team, you're going to align your CS rep to the retention goal. You're going to align your person that's worked with the sales team to the sales number. You're going to align the marketing ops to the pipeline goal. You can spread that across the entire RevOps team. And, you know, what you're talking about, if you have something for each stage, Mad Kudu has those insights start to finish of the whole RevOps journey of what the customer goes through. Another question I know comes up a lot with the way that the economy is right now. You know, everyone's trying to be efficient. But they don't want to be efficient at the expense of being effective. So you are very obsessed with leveraging data science to improve those elements. How
0: do you balance the two, especially when they could be at odds with each other? It's a great question. It's definitely a tricky one. I think a big mistake a lot of people make is that things are more complicated than they ought to be. I think this is where the playbooks are so important. I think the uh, efficiency is critical, but ultimately what most companies are looking for is really leverage, right? And at least when you think about venture backed, like sometimes it's interesting to go back to first principle and to remind ourselves, why do VCs give money to companies? And or even like when you're a public company, you're still getting money from the outside. This is the whole point of an IPO. So essentially what you're doing in venture backed is the VC is going to give you, call it like 40 million as you raise your series B. And the assumption is that with those 40 million, you can increase your AR by at least 40, right? And that's like one of the new metrics that's out there is like, how much increase in AR can you get every time you burn a single dollar? And you can think of that as efficiency. But what I don't like about efficiency is that there's a strong question about how do I minimize costs, right? You're thinking like, for a given output, how do I minimize my input? But when you think about leverage, leverage is really about for a given input, how do I maximize the output? And that's really what VCs are looking for. They're saying, "I'm giving you 40 million, I don't want 40 million back. I want the most you can get." And so then the question really becomes like for every dollar we invest into our go-to-market engine, how do we maximize the output? And it's less of a efficiency, effectiveness kind of thing is like leverage is a slightly different way of looking at it and trying to figure out like what are the different plays that we could run that are going to have high leverage and Very frequently, I see companies that try to optimize something that they have, and they're going to spend a ton of time making that slightly more effective or more efficient instead of saying, well, actually, there's this completely other thing that we're absolutely not doing. And instead of spending time trying to make something more efficient, like if you spend the same time starting this new motion, we're going to get a ton or it's incrementally a lot more value. So unfortunately, I think we're very often... Thinking about it slightly the wrong way with the efficiency and effectiveness, because it means that we are only looking at what we're currently doing or even reducing what we're doing. Instead of looking at what are the things that we could be doing additionally that would have higher leverage or a similar leverage, but since we're not doing it, we're going to get more value. So it's ultimately, yeah, I really think about plays and and just listing like what are the different initiatives and plays that we're running as a go-to-market team. What are the ones that we're not doing? And therefore, where do we think we can place bets to make them work? You
1: want that force multiplier, whatever activity,
0: whatever dollar you're spending. And it's interesting to see that there's a lot of things that are not that expensive that yield incredible returns. I'll just share one story that I thought was super inspiring. Ramp ran this campaign a few months ago. So they consult with this guy, Guillaume Caban, who is like the head of growth at segment and at drift. G, as he is well known in the growth landscape. And he combines really this like really good like technical skills, but also like psychological skills. Like he thinks about like what are buyers looking for? And he's always like thinking about what's valuable to a customer and how do I leverage that to get something in return. And so one of the things they did is they rented out some ad time on Times Square. They basically rented out like I think 30 minutes. And every 30 seconds, they would have kind of a picture of a customer, a quote from that customer and the logo ramp. They hired a photographer to take pictures of like every one of those slides that showed up on Times Square. And then they basically ran campaigns in LinkedIn where they would post, hey, this is what this company says about Ramp. We're super excited for them. Congrats for being on, uh, you know, uh, on Times Square. The funny thing is that campaign cost them less than $3,000 because they ran it in the middle of the night because the whole point was just have someone take pictures and then they got like... 20 or 30 of those that they could run every whatever, like four days on LinkedIn. So this campaign lasted a super long time, drove a ton of engagement because like people are excited to see their company featured on Times Square. So the entire company is like resharing this thing that talks a little bit about ramp, but still talks about the customer and that's, it's super viral. It's like really putting the customer front and center. And it generated a ton of, of pipeline for them. And what's interesting is that this is not effectiveness. It's not efficiency. It's like thinking about like, what are creative things that we can do that are going to have super high leverage? And so I think today there's a challenge where we're often a little bit too mechanical in how we're doing things and really just trying to optimize it a little bit too much rather than just... What are new plays that we can run? Like what are other people doing and how do we do that and find smart ways of not having to spend like tens of millions to do it? It's it's really
1: evident that your background in data science has really shaped your approach to sales and go to market and revenue operations. <laughs> so that said, like how do you see data
0: science evolving? What impact do you think it's going to have on the future of RevOps? The first thing is data science often sounds like a really, like a big word. Running numbers in an Excel spreadsheet is data science, right? It's like manipulating numbers is data science. So it doesn't have to be complex machine learning, even building a data-driven segmentation of saying like, show me people that have built three workflows in lean data and just seeing who those people are in building segmentation, that is data science. And so I do want to demystify this a little bit. It doesn't have to be neural networks and like complex stuff. I think data science is going to be one of the most fundamental skills or like data literacy and therefore literacy and data science for RevOps, because data is going to be one of the baseline for a lot of what we do. It is today a, almost like a competitive advantage, but I think it's going to become table stakes and baseline. And I do think the same way that we're going to see more and more CMOs that are data first, data native, the same way that we saw them like mobile native CMOs, and as that, Goes there's going to be a need for data literacy. The good thing is we're also seeing an explosion of tools that lowers the barrier to like you don't need to know how to do Python to be able to run analyses, right? So we have our CSMs internally. I gave them this tip that if you go to ChatGPT and you ask ChatGPT, hey, what is the SQL query to give me the list of account of target accounts that are prospects? have a mad kudu score of over this and blah 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 and chat will give you that SOCOL query and a great thing. So you don't need to know SOCOL, but you can still just ask for that, get the SOCOL query and then run it in Salesforce. And so what's super cool is that even our CSMs are able to run Sokol queries. So as a RevOps, being able to understand like how do I analyze trends and things like that is a critical skill. But you know technical barrier is going down over time. There's a lot of new tools coming out with LLMs that where we're starting to see this kind of like chat interface with your data. I think what Darmesh has built at HubSpot with a ChatSpot is really inspiring. So for those who haven't seen it, I highly recommend checking out ChatSpot. It was a pet project of Darmesh, the CTO of HubSpot, who built this, and he just wanted to have a chat interface to talk with his HubSpot database. Where you'd be like, "Oh, how many contacts was, were created last week?" and it would create the report and give him the answer. And so this like exploded when he started talking about it. And now they have PMs allocated to it and like engineering resources. But I do think that's the future of RevOps. It's going to be like a more natural language interaction, which is great because it also means that RevOps is going to have to be able to think more about the business questions, the playbooks, what are we trying to accomplish, and less about, oh, you know, what is the difference between a workflow? and a trigger or like that kind of stuff that is going to become less and less relevant and more abstracted through a lot of these tools.
1: It's not that AI is going to replace RevOps. It's going to arm RevOps with much more ammo to be able to do the job that
0: AI can't do. It's also empowering us, right? I see the LLMs the same way that you know, historically to use a computer, you needed to use the terminal, right? You would open the terminal, and you basically have the like C dot and like and then you had to like type in commands, and then we had the graphical interface, and now we can use this little thing and like click around and, and move things, and it's so much easier. It's it's hard for most people to imagine like logging into a computer and just having a command line interface. But similarly, I think 10 years from now, it's gonna seem crazy. That we had to go into Salesforce and like think about, okay, is this an opportunity field? Oh, but so now I need to create my report as a contact or opportunities with contact fields and like drop this here and there. What you're trying to say is like, what is my MQL to SQL conversion rate? That's the question you're asking. It's a pretty standard question. It doesn't seem that crazy to think that a few years from now, that's just a question you ask your CRM and your CRM is going to build a report and you can tweak it. And so then it elevates the level of the RevOps to less what fields do I use, but more what questions do I ask? Questions do I ask? Exactly. Yeah. What are the props, right? The right props to ask. Which questions can I ask? That's where then the data literacy and the data strategy is important to understand what is a question I can ask because I know I have the data. So you need to understand what data is available. You don't need to understand how you query it. We need to understand what's there, what's possible, and what's relevant to ask. So I think it's a pretty big change in the landscape, but I think it's a really exciting time for RevOps because it's really going to elevate the profession. I would totally agree with that. Last question. This is something I ask everybody and given
1: your unique career progression, what advice would you give to someone that's looking to maybe move from a traditional data scientist or maybe they're a a major in data science And it's more on the technical side to something that's more business-oriented and in SaaS or at a startup, something that's more sales-facing, RevOps-facing. I I feel like there's a little
0: bit of a transition there. What advice would you give someone that's looking to do that? The first one is to accept you know nothing. This is true even for people that aren't necessarily making that transition, but are starting to work with go-to-market teams. I see it every single one of our customers. At some point, there's a data team that comes in and tells RevOps, oh, we can build all of this. Like we can do scoring, we can do like automated research and blah, blah, blah. And then you ask them, can you give me the name of one sales rep you've spoken with in the last two years? Just to be very clear, you know nothing about selling. I mean, you know how to build regressions. And if I give you a spreadsheet, you can show me like a bunch of like data science stuff. Great. But you do not understand what it is to sell. And I really think like putting your ego aside and just like appreciating the fact that salespeople have very, very different skills from yours. They're not better, they're not worse. The fact that they don't understand how to do a regression doesn't make them worse people than you because you don't know how to sell. And I always like say, you know, when we're being European, I talk about soccer, but to me like they're people that are strikers and salespeople to me are strikers. The only thing we need them to know how to do is to strike, right? Whenever they get the ball, They have to score. But when we're playing defense, we're not asking them to come and play defense. They can stay like midfield and wait for us to push the ball out. And when we're in data science, we might be more like middle field and we're like kind of like pushing things here and there, but we're not strikers. And so the skills are very different. And if you only had data scientists, you would probably never score. And then your goalkeeper would be terrible. So just acknowledging that it's different skills and that your purpose is to figure out, how do I make this person successful, given who they are, given what they know, rather than trying to make them successful, given what you think is relevant. It's easier said than done. Because we're so like data scientists, we love data and and salespeople tend to be more gut feelings like, oh, I closed this like one healthcare company yesterday. So now healthcare is the industry we should go after. It's the only thing that works and it's true, there is that recency bias that we see a lot, which is a little bit frustrating as a data scientist. But it's important to realize that there is also a lot of value in individual anecdotes that come from sales and not always trying to look at it from the grand scheme of like, oh, yeah, well, statistically, that is not relevant. Well, sorry, screw you. Like, statistically, that deal is paying my commission. Your statistics are not. And just like learning to appreciate that and to be able to bring the right balance, I think is really critical. And I would recommend maybe the, the one thing I would say for anyone who's trying to make that transition, ask to have to close a deal. Try to take on the role of an AE on something that's potentially not a super qualified lead because you don't want the you know the company to, to lose pipeline, but, or even just go and like shadow some reps and like go on, listen on some calls and tr- ask yourself, what would you answer that prospect? Be an SDR for a day, make some phone calls. <laughs> Exactly. There's so much that comes from shadowing people and, and doing the job to realize, oh my God, salespeople, it's not just like the frat bros that are showing up and like making a ton of money. And it's a hard job. And it seems easy from the outside, but it is a skill. And I think there's a lot of value in, you know, putting yourself in their shoes and realizing that you don't know as much as you think you do. That's
1: that's great advice. You know, again, you know, I talk a lot about that do RevOps today usually come from a varied background. And I think we're going to see a lot more uh, RevOps leaders that come out of data science. So I think that's great advice, you know, to let them experience what it is like to be a salesperson, make a phone call, book a meeting, do a discovery call, you know, shadow people as much as you can, ask a lot of questions.
0: I think that's, that's fantastic advice. And realize that you can't just follow a script, right? When you talk, like, a prospect is a human being. They're not like a stochastic parrot, right? They're just going to go all over the place. Like you might expect them to, you can't predict what they're going to say. Like you walk into meetings and like people wo- just woke up, didn't have their coffee. They're in a bad mood because their neighbor like parked in front of their their car. And like, you have to deal with that. And you have you have to realize that, yeah, you might want to, you have your discovery questions and you want to go through all of them, but that's not how the other person operates. And so you have to navigate that. And it's a very different skill but it is a skill. That's very true.
1: I think this was a great episode. Thanks so much for joining me. We look forward to look forward to seeing you at the, in the next live event. You know, uh, seeing people live has been fantastic now that things are starting to pick back up again. Thank you again for being on the Obstarch podcast.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for having me. This was a blast. And yeah, very much looking forward to seeing you and hopefully anyone who's uh, watching this in person in the near future. Sounds good.
1: The OpStars podcast is brought to you by Lean Data. To find out more about us and our suite of Salesforce native products for marketing, sales, and revenue operations, head to leandata.com and then make sure to search for OpStars in Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Google Podcasts, or anywhere else that podcasts are found. Make sure to click subscribe so you don't miss on any future episodes. On behalf of the team here at OpStars and Lean Data, thanks for listening.